The Philippine education sector needs to upgrade teaching methods to prepare students for the high technology literacy required in the future. In this B-Side episode, Ryan Lufkin, Vice President of Global Strategy at Instructure, discusses digital classrooms, data-informed decisions, and future-proofing Philippine education with Business World reporter John Victor D. Ordonez. So with this um, data-driven education that you speak of, so how do you see this assisting maybe Filipino teachers in pinpointing or identifying student needs, maybe adjusting their methods, you know, how we've transitioned out of the pandemic, and maybe uh, initiating earlier interventions to address maybe the learning challenges that have been developed through the pandemic? So data actually assists us on many levels, right? From an organization level, whether that's a K-12 institution or a college or university, data across their entire learning experience actually helps them understand uh, the effectiveness, the the efficacy of their uh, learning tools across the board. Uh, but in a classroom setting, data can also be used to identify at-risk students, students that may be struggling with learning early enough in the process that you can provide uh, support at the moment of need. And then the other aspect of it, like you mentioned, is um, understanding the data around a course so that uh, we can improve those courses uh, and fine-tune course offerings to help students reach their academic goals. The more data we have, the more we data we have from different systems that we compile together, uh, it really gives us a holistic picture of not just student success, but program success and overall institutional success. So, sir, since you mentioned this use of data, so what other emerging trends do you see that might be able to support teachers in enhancing this data utilization for personalized learning? Yeah, I think one of the headlines that we've seen is uh, learning loss, lingering learning loss post-COVID. Uh, and uh, it's one of those challenges that as an education worldwide, uh, there's a there's an entire generation of students that are suffering from learning loss uh, based off of the, you know, you know I think 1.5 million students suffered uh, disruption in their learning journey uh, across the board during COVID. And so using data, we can actually help identify where they sit versus where the standards should be uh, and actually help create pathways to close those gaps. That's a that's a really interesting approach. Uh, the other aspect is, is something I spent a lot of time talking about, which is AI in education. Uh, and one of those things that, you know, AI initially was viewed very much as a cheating tool. Uh, and so a lot of schools initially banned AI in general. And, you know, now 10 months after the launch of ChatGPT, which really launched the revolution at the end of last year, what we're seeing is a much uh, shifted focus towards how can AI actually help students uh, in the classroom, stay on track, create, have a more personalized learning experience. But how can we lighten the load for educators? Educators have a lot of mundane tasks they have to do. Uh, and AI can actually uh, make it much easier. It can it can help them write uh, assessment content. It can help them write uh, learning plans. It can help them uh, create content on a number of levels that really allows them to use that saved time to engage with students better. And so AI is one of those that, you know, I, I'm, I'm encouraging as educators across the globe, really to look at the, the more positive aspects of AI and generative AI and how that can be leveraged to, for student success. And there's a, a world of possibility there that's just really starting to be understood. So you mentioned the potential positive impact of AI in education, but some people may see it as a, as maybe a roadblock that, that may displace some teachers. Maybe they fear losing their jobs because of AI. So how can teachers mitigate the risk of AI in maybe students using this in a way that would eliminate critical thinking maybe because like they create they write academic papers purely through ai so how can teachers like remove this fear that they have 
it's interesting. If you go back and look at the headlines when the calculator was released, uh, it was all about the death of critical thinking. And then when the internet came out, it was all about the the death of critical thinking. Uh, and so ChatGPT really is just the next technology step. None of those previous uh, levels of technology have killed critical thinking. But AI does come with some new challenges, right? We need to make sure that we're educating both students and teachers on ethical guidelines around AI usage, making sure they understand when it's appropriate to use AI in the classroom and when it's not. Uh, and I think fundamentally, one of the biggest challenges is we need to move away from the traditional, you know, uh, write a 10-page paper uh, as the level of measuring mastery of a skill uh, or measuring, uh, you know, assessing uh, grasping of the concepts, we need to turn that on its head a little bit. We need to change the way we're doing assessment because so it can't be so easily gamed. And largely that's because AI identification tools are not 100%. And because unlike traditional plagiarism where they can point to a source document with AI generated content, you, you have no source document to point to. So it's always the student's word versus the, the software. And as of right now, none of them are 100%. So the fact that we can't rely on that, we really have to shift our focus to away from trying to catch students cheating and away from, uh, you know, helping students understand that AI tools we're going to use throughout our careers. They're going to be with us, you know, for the rest of our lives. How do we really use them effectively uh, to enhance learning, not to uh, avoid learning, right? I think that's one of the biggest challenges. The other aspect too, and I think it's really important, is AI is a tool like any other tool. Uh, and I know there are educators that fear like it will take their jobs. I just don't see that. We don't see that. It is students need guides in learning. It's, it's a very human piece of, of the learning experience. We need guides. And so I think educators and librarians and people that serve those roles as guides um, they should actually be focused on mastering these tools to help them, right? AI is out there. It's not going away. So we really do need to leverage those tools proactively. So, sir, you you said AI is probably going to stay with us for the foreseeable future. So how the government can provide data literacy for teachers, maybe incorporating AI in, in the Philippine education system, and which primary data sources can they use to maybe enhance this personalization? Yeah, I think the right now we're suffering from a little bit of lack of guidance. And I love that University of Philippines has been very proactive about being, you know, really one of the first universities, I would say, across the globe, uh, but certainly within the Philippines to establish guidelines for AI usage. Uh, I think that's that's the biggest piece. They educators, students, they're looking for that guidance and how do we properly leverage these tools. So I think I think uh, having thought leaders like the University of the Philippines uh, is incredibly important. I think one of the things that's important uh, you know that we see in in the Philippines and countries really across the globe, is getting educator input, getting administrator input, really leveraging the people with knowledge of the classroom and knowledge of the technology in creating guidelines. We risk putting too restrictive a guideline if we're if we're not getting that input and, and really getting that understanding. Uh, and so I think right now what we're seeing is mostly as opposed to strong regulatory uh, constraints, what we're seeing is guidelines for the proper usage. And again, fundamentally doubling down on, you know, protecting student data privacy, uh, protecting uh, intellect, uh, intellectual property from educators, things like that. These are already, there's protections in place for them. We need to make sure that we, you know, AI doesn't erode them in any way. Um, but real, realistically, you know, it's just one more layer of recommendation there. Uh, so I think that's important. The other aspect is, you know, ChatGPT, which is the most well-known of the generative AI tools, is just one of literally thousands of tools out there. Um, there's new tools every day that that pop up that I'm sent that we see. Uh, and so we, we've started to put together a list of AI tools. We'll be putting together a marketplace of tools that work directly with Canvas and things like that. But I think it's important to work with technology partners uh, and trusted vendors and really vet these 
Um, because there are there are unscrupulous tools out there. There are tools that are focused on uh, you know cheating specifically that we try to keep out of the platform. Uh, and things like that, but uh, it's it's an evolving approach. We're kind of right in the middle of it, whether it's from a regulatory standpoint, a copyright standpoint, there's so many moving parts because the, you know we're within the first year of kind of the generative AI revolution going on right now. So you mentioned the emergence of these new tools. So what new workflows have you noticed that schools have been implementing to make up for lost time or maybe to close that gap in learning losses that uh, we suffered throughout the pandemic, both in the Philippines and maybe in worldwide? I think some of the tools, like I, I mentioned uh, previously, most of the tools are focused on saving uh, educators time and and assisting students, right? And so um, there's a number of tools that, uh, again, will help create content for stu- for educators, uh, even write code for customized courses, things like that. Um, there's AI tools that help with tutoring for individual students and providing a very specific uh, experience for them as they need to deep dive into certain areas. Uh, and there's a lot of time-saving tools that we've got tools that will plug into a, a Zoom call and basically record the entire contents of that call and summarize it and send it out to all the, the attendees. Those simple tools that can save just a huge amount of time for teachers and students, but also there's search tools that you know we can be integrated into our product um, where if a student says, you know what, at the beginning of this semester, the, you know, we talked about a guitar and they can type that in there and I'll say, well, it was actually a mandolin and it was in the second week of the course and it was in reference to this, this painting by Picasso, right? Those types of of tools that can save students time digging back through that content really help them really focus on the learning. That's what we're looking at. How close would you say Philippines is in closing that learning loss that we incurred during the pandemic, both financially and academically? Uh, the Philippines specifically has a very targeted approach. The government is very focused on that in a way that I think many countries across the globe aren't. And so I think that's incredibly important. Um, one of the challenges is, you know, I think when when the Philippines put out the mandate to return to the physical classroom, I think a lot of educators mistakenly underheard, well, we don't we won't use the technology anymore. And I think what's important is understanding, let's not lose the gains in technology adoption that we had uh, because of COVID. Let's maintain those that approach so that we're using the technology in the classroom in a way where if a student misses class for an illness or uh, for uh, time out of school, all of their course materials are still in Canvas. They can still go in and get, they know exactly where to get all of their content. They know exactly what they need to do next. And then also future proofs against a return of COVID, natural disaster, different aspects like that. I think one of the one of the big concerns, I think globally, and not just in the Philippines, really has been kind of a step back from the gains that we made around technology, the gains we made around accessibility and access to technology and, and devices that we made. Uh, and so I think the I think the Philippines has a good plan. I think the more than more than, more than most institutions, but there are the challenges of large rural populations um, and and uh, working individuals that struggle with you know uh, a family that has maybe a single uh, device to access the internet. You know we've got to make sure that we're we're still supporting those needs. And the in person classroom is incredibly important. That's an incre- uh, amazing experience. But the ideal approach really is that blended approach where technology is embedded into the class itself. So. And what type of infrastructure do you think the government should invest in to maybe help the public schools streamline their operations and maybe make it easier for teachers to deliver their uh, curriculum? I think it's important that the Filipino government um, really does focus on providing the financial support to adopt technology to make sure that they've got consistent adoption, both in rural and urban areas. 
it's a very diverse population. It's a very diverse country. And so making sure that there's a, a level of consistency and technology adoption across the board is, is can be difficult, right? And I think that's something that the government's very focused on in the Philippines. Uh, and I think that that's a great approach. Unfortunately, it does cost, you know, like the to get high speed Internet to rural areas to uh, maintain the, the level of technology in the classroom. It, there's there's costs associated with all of that. But uh, it really does, you know, adopting that technology in an early age really does set students up for the technology jobs that are available uh, in the future. And so we see that right now, you know, most students will end up working in jobs that don't necessarily exist today, right? The Those jobs of the future. And the more that the government invests in that technology approach and gets technology in the hands of both educators and students, the more likely they are to be successful in the future. So you mentioned that these types of investments, but what are the what, what are challenges that the government has to look look out for or keep an eye on, especially uh, maybe considering economic factors such as inflation, maybe teachers might be worried about these uh, different challenges. Yeah, I think the one of the biggest challenges we we face right now, especially with the emergence of AI, is is cost and that the cost for AI. One of the one of the things that's not often discussed is that AI is free. I can go use ChatGPT, right? for free. But if I want to use the more powerful GPT plus model, uh, I've got to pay. And and for scaling that across a lot of institutions can be actually quite expensive. And so we're really at a risk right now of creating an accessibility gap for poor or rural students, uh, not having access to the same tools that uh, students in more well-funded schools have. And so we need to make sure that we're preserving that that access to technology, not creating those those gaps between the haves and the have-nots. Um, that's a that's a real risk right now, and I think the the challenge for uh, again the challenge for the Philippine government it really is given the diversity of of the country how do we make sure that we we try to apply that evenly across the board I think the the more data driven decision the more data we have to make decisions off of to to show proof of the results the better off we are and so you know collecting that can be very difficult across disparate systems and disparate school districts and things like that the the Philippine government really is focused on trying to get a lot of that data and make those decisions, it can be hard. And I think the more consistent they are with applying technology, the more consistent the data they get is to make those decisions. So, sir, how would you say public and maybe private institutions, how can they strike a balance between these new technologies and maybe traditional ways of teaching? How can they strike a balance in a way that maybe students won't have this maybe deficiency or loss that other people might say? What's important there is making sure that we understand a lot of the technology is they're they're just tools, right? Um, they're just tools that in an ideal situation really disappear into the background. Um, we talk a lot about as students progress through primary school into into secondary education and and college, the idea that technology should disappear into the background. And the more they don't have to learn new technologies, the more seamless that technology experience is. It lowers the cognitive load for students so they can very much focus on the skills they're trying to achieve. And so I think the the biggest piece there is is driving towards a consistent technology approach, you know, nationwide uh, is is incredibly important, making sure that they're working with uh, reputable vendors that are are scalable and, and global in nature. Uh, and I think understanding, looking at other what other countries are doing, but but honestly, I was I was in uh, the Philippines earlier this year, and I was impressed by the school administrators I worked with, uh, and the, their focus is on par with what we would see in uh, most Western countries. And so I think there's always challenges. There's always, especially in such a diverse and I think some of the the environmental challenges in the Philippines raise concerns there as well. Uh, but I think the the Philippine government is addressing it very effectively. 
So, sir, you mentioned that you were in the Philippines earlier this year. So have you partnered with any government agency or maybe a local school to maybe upskill or maybe uh, for capacity building programs for local teachers? I haven't directly, but our, our school, you know, instructor works with, you know, most of the leading universities and many K-12 institutions within the Philippines. Uh, and so we're very much focused on developing that that technology uh, experience in students. You know, we've worked with bridging the gap uh, with virtual learning even before COVID. Uh, we were connecting uh, schools in the Philippines with schools in the United States via video conferencing, you know, sharing of projects, things like that. And we've continued that approach now moving forward. And so I think the we view the, the Philippines as uh, having an incredible leg up on a lot of nations, uh, just because I think the Filipino workforce is hungry for that technology learning, hungry for that skill set uh, in a way that is exciting. And I think the uh, it makes the the job of the government easier. I think when so many people are focused on on uh, building those skills and and following those pathways for education, uh, it's just a matter of uh, like University of the Philippines creating a, a doctoral program in AI engineering, right? Um, leading that charge and really looking at the future and defining what those future jobs will be and creating educational paths towards them. And I think that's that's something that I really do see the, the Philippines doing incredibly well. So, sir, how do you see AI maybe uh, change the way employers look for in employees? What do you think AI would be a must for job seekers to be well versed in or uh, how do you see this, sir? I think simple prompt writing, right? Prompt engineering, it's often called, uh, which is having a conversation with the AI to get the result that you want, whether that's creating code, creating written text, uh, creating imagery and video. Prompt engineering is an important skill set that I think we all need to be developing. And so uh, when I talk to people that are sitting on the sideline kind of waiting to see what happens with AI, I think that's a little silly because you can actually go out to so many of these tools. There's free versions. You can actually go out and experience what it's like to have a conversation, try to get it to create an image that you want, try to get it to tell, you know, create the text that you want. So I think that's incredibly important. I think one of the ways, you know, AI is going to make it easier to, for employers to connect with potential employees as well. Right now, uh, you know, most employers, when they post jobs, they have thousands of applicants that they have to wade through. In the future, AI will actually help them sift through and say, you know, help them find individual students and says, oh, you know what? John has the exact skill set I need based off of what they're tracking from their credentials programs at their university uh, and make that that gap much easier, right? So there's a number of those ways that AI is going to be um, used in the workplace that we're really still discovering, right? We, we see new versions every day. But again, we need to remember, I, I always say it's kind of like the movie How to Train Your Dragon, right? AI is that dragon and we're the trainers. We get to control it. And so we need to make sure we need to be not scared of the the kind of catastrophizing headlines that we see sometimes. And we need to be more focused on how do we actually learn to be a good dragon trainer and and develop those skills. And so I do think it's going to be incredibly important because I, I don't know anyone right now in the workplace who's not using AI, whether it's to start thought uh, idea sparking on a blank page cleaning up content, paring down and, and and organizing content, even just organizing complex topics into a, a very uh, understandable package, right? Jumping in with both feet now is probably uh, beneficial for, for everyone, not just students, but educators, uh, administrators alike. Mr. Lufkin said it's important the Philippines does not lose the gains in technology adoption brought about by the pandemic. Philippine education will be future-proof if the government continues to improve its use of new platforms and new technologies, he said. This has been another B-Side episode. 
Subscribe now and enjoy a new episode every week.